KRCL, Salt Lake City. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists and community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. I'm Laura Jones, and joining me tonight, returning victorious to the show, we have Dr. Tamara Stevenson, Radioactive co-host Emeritus. How are you? I'm awesome, and you're awesome, and I'm so glad to be back. I've never had a title Emeritus attached to me before. (laughs) I'm not sure I'm fully feeling it, because I'm always part of the KRCL family. That's right, that's right. So for folks that don't remember, uh, Tamara was here for a while with us, and then she got a big promotion and more to do at Westminster College. Tell the folks what you do up there because you're a VP, you're a CDO. What does that <laughs> alphabet suit mean? So I am. Uh, I started at Westminster as a, a faculty member, member in the communication program, so that totally made sense for me to want to get my radio scratch going. And then I kind of emerged more into what some of my uh, academic scholarship is about. So for the past three years, if you can believe that, I've been, I am the Vice President of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion and Chief Diversity Officer at Westminster. And particularly during this time that we're in right now, it has been an amazing roller coaster ride. Exhausting a lot of the time, but still fulfilling and rewarding Mm -hmm. as we are continuing to work and and uh, advance DEI for our student, staff, faculty, community, and for all. Well, I did want to say thank you for sharing the Juneteenth broadcast. You had a great panel discussion and remind us of what that was all about. The first Juneteenth recognized on Westminster campus. Recognized at Westminster because it was it's also the first year that Juneteenth has been recognized in, as an official state holiday in the state of Utah, yeah. number one, and only the second year that it has been observed as a federal holiday. So still so much newness around this. Yeah. And to be able to, to convene that panel of educators, legislators, and community activists to not only talk about Juneteenth across the country, but about what it has meant in Utah because celebrations have been going on for over 30 years. That's right. Betty Sawyer was on that panel and told some great stories. And folks, you can actually listen to it. It's in the archive right now at krcl.org. You click on Community Affairs to find the Radioactive Archive. And why don't you tell us about the show and what you got coming up later. I think I have one of your panelists on the phone trying to figure out how to get to KRCL. So I'm just, I'm verbalizing this as I have the phone up so she knows that we we know she's calling. Right, right. So tonight's panel uh, is going to be talking about the brand new ethnic studies uh, uh, cur- commission and the accompanying curriculum uh, that was approved by the Utah State Legislature this year. And it has such significance, again, not only in the time and the moment we're in currently, but when we think about the demographics of our public schools across the country, as well as in Utah. Yeah. Ethnic studies is such a phenomenal way to affirm uh the cultural perspectives of all of our students in our uh, school districts, in our public school districts. Uh, and ethnic studies is useful for all of us to learn. The more we learn and ap- we can appreciate each other, uh, I think it just makes for a better place. It prepares us for a global society. So we're excited to be able to talk to some educators and those also participating on the uh, Ethnic Studies Commission uh, to be able to tell us what's this, what this is gonna look like actually on the ground. Well, and I'm kind of curious because we have this backlash against 
critical race theory, which is really a graduate school level kind of conversation yes. and a lens through which to look at the law and institutions. Right, exactly. So here we have this Ethnic Studies Commission. Sure. To talk about how that's taught across our entire state <laughs> in a very conservative state, I'm guessing there'll be some concerns raised. Concerns and hopefully clarifications. <laughs> I love it. On what, uh, on, on again, the really important, meaningful significance of, of ensuring that uh, students are seeing themselves mm. in their learning spaces. And I mean, that, gosh, that's encouraging for all. And it's even encouraging for adults who see people who look like them, who are being successful, who are being accomplished, who are being courageous and trying something new. Um, we we're like we're supposed to be lifelong learners, right? And right. we have to uh, we want to demonstrate that for our students coming up from the earliest kindergartner to the graduating seniors this year that it's never too late to learn something new. And again, this ethnic studies uh, curriculum as part of Utah's core standards is 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 really going to be a benefit for that. Well, stick around. That panel conversation is coming up after some rallies and resources and the new single from local fave Jazzy Olivo as well. So stick around for that, folks. I did want to do this really quickly. It's so hot out there, right? I, I've been inside with the air conditioning. You drove over here. How hot was it? I, I've just been trying to stay in the air conditioning, which is a little weird for me because I don't mind the heat as much, yeah. but it, it's, a, it's, it's steamy out there. Well, there are cool zones in Salt Lake County, folks. You can escape the heat at a Salt Lake County cool zone in Salt Lake County, and I believe South Salt Lake had some power outage earlier today, and that, that would have affected folks' ability to stay cool. So anyway, it runs through October 15th. Salt Lake County Senior Centers, they're free to people over 60, open 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. on weekdays. Uh, and there's a whole map I'll put in tonight's show notes, but it's also a resource on rallies and resources. Uh, folks, any library, any public building is a place to cool off if you're having trouble staying cool as we enter this, what, a week of triple digits, I think. I think it's been longer than a week. We yeah. may all be a little bit delirious <laughs> from the heat, but we totally appreciate the creativity and the the uh, commitment of of those who are providing these cool zones. Yeah, in the mall, you know? Mm -hmm. You can always go walk in the mall yeah. and cool off. That doesn't cost you anything, and yeah. you take public transportation to get there. Yes. Another item on rallies and resources, I've been saying this every night, is uh, the Utah Asian Festival is coming up on Saturday at the Fair Park. And folks, I was just reading an article in the Trib that dropped today online at sltrib.com, so do go and check that out for a great preview. But it's not gonna cost you anything to get into the festival. Once you get yourself there, if you want to pay for parking, that's up to you. But then, you know, be prepared to eat well. Oh, absolutely. Bring the cash to eat well. <laughs> Bring I your taste buds. It's a larger location, and they've got more vendors. There's going to be music and dance and all sorts of things. So do check that out. It's Saturday from 11 to 8 at the Utah State Fair Park. So that is something to check out. Also on Saturday, we have a special guest joining us from Fridays for Future to talk about this event. We have Cece Davis. Hey, Cece, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Now, I'm so glad you came in. Fridays for Future Youth Activist Group, and you just graduated, graduated early from West High, just a couple blocks from us here. Yes, I did. Um, I have been doing climate activism since ninth grade, um, but I'm planning on doing it for all my foreseeable future well because it's your future because right? it's my future and it's needed <laughs> i'm sorry that we did on. this right <laughs> there we go and we did this the grown-ups now have a big responsibility for what you're inheriting but you want to empower other youth 
um, but everyone's welcome to this this day that you've got planned at Spy Hop. What's Ecotopian School Day? So Ecotopian School Day is an event created by local climate activists, mainly youth climate activists, um, who felt that their education was lacking when it came to preparing them for the climate crisis. Um, and so while waiting for the education system to make this into um, something that's very involved in curriculums across all subjects, um, we decided that we would create a school day of our own um, where grassroots organizers and activists come and teach a variety of different subjects and topics pertaining to social and eco-justice. Um, so it's basically a school day full of classes that we wish were being taught, but they aren't yet. Very cool. We're talking about education today. Yes. We're totally talking about topic. education, and we are not only just talking about formal, kind of traditional education, but CC, what you are sharing and talking about here today is, is a testament to the creativity that students bring and, and almost, you know, self-advocating for the topics they want to hear about to be discussed and unpacked in uh, uh, relevant and timely and realistic ways. And I think many teachers want to do more, but sometimes there are those limitations. So the fact that yet uh, you all have been able, which is pretty ironic, but amazing, scheduling a school day in the middle of the summer, right? <laughs> um, but I have no doubt that it will be a full day, meaning that it will be well attended. And so uh, what do you want people to take away from, from the day? Well, we feel that students need to be prepared and know what is, you know, they need to be educated on this. This is not just one subject that needs to be taught in school. It needs to be interwoven throughout every subject in school because it's going to be interwoven throughout all of our futures. And so we want students to feel uh, empowered and prepared and feel like they have a sense of what's coming because the school system is failing in preparing them. Dr. Stevenson, it sounds like uh, Cece and her peers don't feel they've gotten the education they've needed to address this issue. That sounds like a commonality yeah. across <laughs> a few few contexts. <laughs> Cece, do you, do you feel like that's what you're trying to do is create the curriculum you would like to have for you and your peers? Yeah, that's definitely the idea. It's, it's going to hopefully be um, a continual uh, event that happens, though we don't have the next one planned, we're hoping that it will continue on into the future until it's picked up and actually implemented into our school systems. In fact, your group issued an open letter to Utah educators challenging the Board of Ed to give you the curriculum in order to face your future. Exactly. So during the last global climate strike on March 25th, um, as we were marching up to the Capitol, we stopped at the Utah State Board of Education building and we dropped off the UN's most recent IPCC report along with a proposal, as you were mentioning, that we had written um, demanding this sort of change in education and implementing um, an education that is actually preparing us for what is to come. Uh, and we have not yet heard back from the Utah State Board of Education. And so mm. in the meantime, we're doing this on our own. Interesting. Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. A lot that we can learn from the youth in our own community, not to mention around the world on this issue, Dr. Stevenson. And to do so with such courage and commitment to the work you mentioned that you'll be doing this for the foreseeable future, because when you kind of combine passion 
with uh, a drive and with knowledge, right? Because that's not limited by age. And to be able to share and convey that knowledge in ways that's accessible, interesting, intriguing, and provide some action going forward. That's what we want to see our students do and not be afraid of that, but to encourage that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you might need to guide it a little bit, Yeah, (laughs) but, but to, to hone that passion in productive ways, we're even those that are a little bit ahead of you in age, we're still going to benefit as well from, from um, what you're going to be talk, what you all are going to be talking about on Ecotopian School Day. Yes, and <laughs> and uh, hopefully we can you know do what we can to make this world a better place for you all. Even though you're going to be living in it a little longer, um, so thank you, thank you. What's the website where folks can get more details? And it says open to everyone, even though it's an Ecotopian School Day uh, by and for youth. You're inviting everybody, right? Yeah, every everyone, all ages are invited to come. Um, and it's and it's a drop-in class schedule, so you can come for however long uh, you'd like. And you can go to ecotopianschoolday.com uh, to get more information and get the exact location. Um, but yeah, it's at SpyHop Youth Media Center in Salt Lake City. Cece, you're giving me hope. Same. <laughs> All Same. right. You know, in a time that sometimes can feel feel a little bleak, you know, yes. and I feel like I'm running out of energy, so I'm ready to <laughs> plug back in, plug right? in yeah. some energy exactly. and, and some, some cheerleading yeah. for this awesome event. Check tonight's show notes for a link to ecotopianschoolday.com and get engaged, folks. Bring the kids, the youth in your life that uh, care about this issue, too, and get some knowledge. All right, Dr. Stevenson, when we come back, it's your takeover. It's my takeover. What are we talking about? We're talking about ethnic studies in Utah. All right. To get us from here to there, the new Jazzy Olivo Kitty Boom on KRCL 90.9 Radioactive. Touch me, you freeze up when the phone rings, get it boom. 
Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru, a community partner of YWCA Utah and the Stand Against Racism Challenge. Mark Miller Subaru loves diversity. Learn more at ywcautah.org and markmillersubaru.com. The annual Food Truck Face-Off happens Saturday, July 16th, 4 to 10 p.m. at Liberty Park in Salt Lake City. The event benefits 4th Street Clinic, Utah Community Action, and the Children's Center Utah, three nonprofits serving Utah's most vulnerable. Details at foodtruckfaceoffslc.org. KRCL's Short Summer Drive is Wednesday, July 13th through Saturday the 16th. We're counting down the days by giving away a pair of tickets every day until then. Sign up for our newsletter at krcl.org for your chance to win. Good luck. You can feel it. Oh, yeah, it feels like summer. Welcome back to Radioactive on KRCL 90.9. I'm Laura Jones. And coming up at 7, it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Thursday night psych out with DJ Mike at 8 o'clock. Followed by The Dirty Boulevard with Gianni at 10.30. I Don't Sound Like Nobody with Rich at 1 a.m. Jolene's Illustrated Blues starts at 3. And John Florence kicks off your Friday at 6 a.m. with a brand new day. You can listen to the last two weeks of any show 
on demand at our website, krcl.org. Just click the Programs tab and you'll find it. And now welcome back to Radioactive, Dr. Tamara Stevenson with a takeover of the show. Tonight we've got this so much knowledge in this room and we're going to be talking about... Ethnic Studies in Utah's Core Standards. As part of Utah's Core Standards, as of this spring, the bill, as Senate Bill 244, Ethnic Studies Amendments, was approved by the state legislature this year, really changing the educational landscape in this state. And so this panel, phenomenal panel of educators, uh, I'll have them introduce themselves, and we're going to have this conversation that's going to take us beyond the bill, if you will, and to take us into what this looks like on the ground in public education in Utah. So thank you, Laura, for having me back. I'm always glad to be here. I've missed you. (laughs) I missed you you. too. (laughs) So hi, everybody. Again, glad to be here on Radioactive. And I'm going to have the panelists introduce themselves. They're going to share their name, their titles, or their roles because they all have multiple roles. I don't know how they do all they do, um, but they they do it all well. And they don't look worse for the wherefore. They really don't. And... I really want them to emphasize or just state, because it's not bragging when it's true, the number of years that they have worked in public education. I'm going to start on my far right. Hello, I'm Michelle Loveday, and I have been an educator for 21 years. And uh, my roles vary in uh, public education to director of language and culture services in my school district, to founder of Rise Virtual Academy, which is an academy for black students to learn their black history, which we'll talk a little bit about later. And then also um, CEO and founder of Love Day Educational Consultant. I'm a community activist, a participant, and um, just a part of wonderful organizations like Delta Sigma Theta and other wonderful groups. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Hi, I'm Dr. Klausina Mahan-Reynolds, and I've been in education 23 years. My most current role that I hold is the uh, principal of Hillcrest Junior High in Murray School District, Um, and I also am the co-founder of Process Forward, which is a um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging collaborative. In addition to that, I also do uh, curriculum work for Reading Horizons. I'm the chief diversity officer there as well. And I am the honored president of our Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated sorority. Awesome. Hello, I am Dr. Kathleen Christie. I have been in education. I'm a retired educator. Been in education for 42 years. Uh, retired as an assistant superintendent in the Salt Lake City School District and had a variety of roles throughout the system during my tenure. I am currently um, a consultant, uh, founder of the Christie Associate and Associates consulting firm where I do coaching and equity work in school districts and I'm currently working in one particular district in the state and a few more coming on board. Um, and I am just excited to be here today. Thank you. And are you really retired? Because that doesn't sound like retired. <laughs> I know. I thought I was retired. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Hello. Good evening. My name is Dr. Marilee Coles Ritchie, and I have been in um, education for 30 plus years. I didn't count the exact. Um, I'm currently a professor of education at Westminster College, and there I have um, a number of roles. Um, I 
teach uh, Foundations of Education in a Diverse Society, and I work with um, teachers to prepare them to work with multilingual learners, sometimes called English learners. Um, I do some professional development in schools um, around supporting teachers to work with multilingual learners. And um, I'm just really thrilled to be here tonight and share in this conversation. It's very exciting that this bill has passed. So from those introductions, I think it's rather easy to see that there is a wealth, a depth of expertise in the field of public education across both K-12 and higher education. If you were computing those numbers, I kind of had to stop after a moment because words are my jam. Numbers, not so much, but it's a, over 100 years, maybe over 120 years of experience and education, right? Because they had to go to school to do what they do uh, around this work. So this is a, a, what's the word other than trifecta? Because there are four panelists. Um, but if you think of quadfecta of, uh, of, of educators who are going to walk us through what this topic will look like, as I said before, on the ground in Utah's public schools. And so just a quick note of how we got here. Again, as I mentioned earlier, Senate Bill 244, Ethnic Studies Amendments, was a bipartisan-sponsored bill by Senator Kirk Coolmore and Representative Sandra Holland. So the fact that this was a bipartisan effort shows that there was such a commitment at the legislative level, seeing the importance, the significance of students in our schools from, again, kindergarten through 12th grade to be able to be in, in, in learning spaces in, our, in their classrooms where they are learning about themselves in affirming ways and accompanying that bill, which is going to require the State Board of Education to incorporate ethnic studies into the core standards for Utah's public schools. And it will also require local school districts to adopt ethnic studies instructional materials and curriculum that align with those core standards, integrate ethnic studies into regular school work for kindergarten through 12th grade. This bill also creates the Ethnic Studies Commission to study the contributions of Utahns of diverse ethnicities and recommend to the state board how to incorporate ethnic studies into core standards. And so if I can say that two members of this panel are part of the Ethnic Studies Commission. Actually, Dr. Christie was, is the co-chair of not the, the not on the commission, the but was the co-chair of the coalition to bring this yes. this bill to to bear, if yes. you will. So then I am correct in saying that Michelle Loveday is a part of this Ethnic Studies Commission. And if you heard her introduction, you know why. And we will hear more uh, about how she will be incorporating that work with what she's already doing. So kind of want to talk about this in a, in a couple of sections. Again, we talked about the bill itself. But I think it's useful for our listeners to be able to understand or, or get a scholarly sense of what ethnic studies is. The bill actually includes a definition, meaning the interdisciplinary social and historical study of how different populations have experienced and participated in building the United States of America, including the study of the culture, history, and contributions of Utahns of diverse ethnicities. So as I said, I'd like to begin this conversation by getting acquainted with that term. 
the discipline of ethnic studies, what it is, why it matters to all students. And then we'll talk a, a bit about the Ethnic Studies Commission, and then we'll talk about how the Ethnic Studies curriculum with guidance from the Ethnic Studies Commission, how that will unfold at the district and school level, and in relation to even higher education teacher preparation programs. So if I could begin with Dr. Christie. Senate Bill 244, approved this year to include ethnic studies as part of the core standards for Utah's public schools. However, the issue, the concern, you mentioned this coalition, about culturally responsive curriculum in public schools has existed for a long time. So what inspired the call for ethnic studies in Utah's public schools? Okay, thanks for that question. <laughs> it's been a long time desire um, for many educators. And just a little side note to that, back in 1977, when I got my master's degree, my uh, emphasis was multicultural education. Mm -hmm. Back then, we were talking about ethnic studies. We called it multicultural education, and we did it as an additive approach to the curriculum. Mm -hmm. We didn't know a whole lot, but we did it anyway. Fast forward to 20, 000, 2020, when uh, with the uh, un uprising in our communities and the uh, murder of George Floyd, many people became interested in understanding about black history and understanding what's going on. So here in our community, um, both from the Multicultural Commission and from Representative Hollins, it kind of converged the ideas. We had um, Representative Hollins and uh, Representative John Hawkins who approached me and said, what can we do about black history? At the same time, the Multicultural Commission was asking Dr. Jackie Thompson about what can we do about black history. And so we started with thinking about black history, came together, started meeting, and started doing some research. And from that research came the idea of ethnic studies. We felt that black studies may not be the appropriate path to go down because you know we wanted to be more inclusive sure. i shouldn't say it was yes. appropriate but it wasn't inclusive yes so we uh, decided to explore ethnic studies across the country to find out how states have been incorporating ethnic studies what they had to do whether it was a legislative uh piece or whether it was going to come from the state board so we did our research and again with the convincing of Representative Hollins and Representative Hawkins, we decided to go the legislative approach. Uh, Michelle here, she'll talk a little bit about, she turned us on to um, Indiana. We looked at Indiana, we looked at Vermont, we looked at Arizona, we looked at California in terms of what they had been able to accomplish around ethnic studies. So we just dug in, started working, doing our research, um, coming together, we met weekly, every week for two years, and we talked about ethnic studies. We um, invited many people from many different walks of life and um, areas of profession to join the coalition to, in, to help us with this conversation and to help us to come up with where we needed to go in Utah. And as I said, the legislative approach was where we landed. I think it's important to note that this panel, all of you, have spent a significant amount of your career 
in Utah. So you understand this context. You understand the, the distinctions as well as the commonalities. And so it is not unusual to look to other uh, uh, states for, for good practices, for ideas, mm-hmm. for guidance, right? But you knew this had to be specific to, to Utah. Utah because of the distinctive uh, uh, contexts that occur, he- occur here, even to your point, Dr. Christie, of not necessarily uh, focusing only on black mm-hmm. uh, uh, history, but, and even as that's noted in the bill, it specifically names uh, individuals, groups who are residents of Utah, including Native American, Alaskan yes, Native, yes. Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, Hispanic or Latino, black or African-American, Asian or Asian-American, or from diverse backgrounds and experiences. So honestly, you could say, considering all of that, we all as human beings, we are all diverse because of our backgrounds and our lived experiences. And yet there are some uh, uh, nuances, for lack of a better term, that, that would indicate, and you all again have seen this, in, in your professional journeys, that uh, when curriculum is, is not as affirming as it could be, um, and there are p- teachers in these classrooms who want to do that, but in, in some ways are, are limited by a few things. Um, how does ethnic studies serve and support all students? And then I'm going to piggyback on that question with how does it serve and support students of color, students from diverse uh, uh, or historically underrepresented groups? And I'll open that question to all of you. Well, I believe it prepares our youth from every corner of the state to compete locally and then in our nation's uh, history and in Utah being the fastest, one of the fastest growing states in the country. So all of our students will benefit from learning about each other learning um, the history of our country as well as our state. So yeah, I, th- I think it has benefit for all students. And as a K-12 educator, it's important for students to see multiple perspectives. And many of us that have been working in multicultural education, as it was called, <laughs> up until now, we talk about how those perspectives are like a four-way stop. So it's important that when you're looking in the middle of the street and you're at the stop sign on the right, there's people at the stop sign on the left, and we have to be able to see the multiple perspectives where our country and how we were built. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, we have to prepare our students. When you look at colleges, as uh, Dr. Marilee will speak to, they have ethnic studies there, but K-12, it's been absent. So then you receive students who are kind of lost in learning the history and shocked in some areas of pieces of the story that they didn't have. But preparing them K-12 will allow that seamless work to go into graduate studies as well. I, I really appreciate what has been said so far about the importance of this, but there's also just wealth of research um, about how students do in K through 12 setting when they are involved in studies that affirm their cultures. Um, uh, a professor that is at BYU, Eric Bybee, did a study um, with some professors um, looking at Latinx eighth graders. And those eighth graders um, that were in a bicultural, bilingual curriculum 
not only got higher grades, but they were able to graduate. They were able to um, uh, go really deep in their academic career. And those that had little to no, um, uh, I guess, background in their cultural heritage, they weren't taught to um, affirm that, they went the opposite direction. So it is just so big as far as but the more rooted you are in your culture, the more you know about your culture, then you do better academically. And I think that's so important. And, and there's so many studies, you know, there's um, Alaska Native, um, UPIC studies where they did math curriculum, where it was tied to wells and how they um, cut up the wells to be able to use for the community. And those students that um, learned math in that way they do wonderfully in math, even on more of the dominant standardized testing. So even though that they're being rooted in this cultural practice, they're also showing that they can do well um, in a dominant system. So it's, and, and those are just a couple, but there are a wealth of different research studies that show how um, all students benefit when they have access to this kind of curriculum. Thank you, Dr. Merrily. I appreciated the, uh the, the, your examples um, highlighting the interdisciplinary aspects of ethnic studies. So if it's from math to science to literature to history, all of it, there, is, there are so many ways and opportunities for a student to be able to see some, something that they're interested in and then be able to learn that there's someone who looks like them, who's from their community, who sounds like them, who's doing that, who's made a significant contribution to that discipline, to that field, and you, it just bubbles up with pride. I'm really grown, and I still am thrilled when I learn about something new because we're lifelong learners, and to be able to learn of, of um, someone who dis discovered this thing and they look like me, they have hair like mine, Oh my goodness, and so how powerful is that when a, a, a kindergarten is five years old? Mm -hmm. <laughs> when a five-year-old just learns, you know, age-appropriate, you yes. know, accessible at that age, and it just, you just see the excitement in their eyes, and they just bubble over and, and talk about that. So I love that aspect that it's interdisciplinary. I loved, um, Ms. Michelle, how you talked about learning from multiple perspectives, and if I could kind of tag on to you a little bit right now around that. Uh, first, could you just t share a little bit of how you see, uh, how the, help us understand how the Ethnic Studies Commission is charged in, in participating and rolling this out. So as of right now, we haven't met. We were all just called and yes. given the letters this past month, which is a, a wonderful honor that I get to work with these individuals on the bill being on the other side of being with the coalition for the last two years. So it's wonderful to see the fruition come into promise. And so we will be charged with looking at what does this look like in our schools? How and, will, how and where will this be instituted? How can we apply this to class schedules? What courses will be? The good news is we have Salt Lake Community College, Westminster, and other universities around the area that have the coursework. And there's school systems now that have been tying a few ethnic studies that we've had teachers that have been dedicated to teach that using uh, SLICK's curriculum and other pieces. So we'll be looking at how that's being delivered, what aspects cover that, working with USBE to make sure that there's standards in place because we want it to be something that is from here to the Uintas so that it's offered for all students. Um, and so that's going to be the important part of the commission. And then just also, I think, 
I know there's going to be, you know, that bipartisan work. And so everyone's going to be coming in with a different perspective. So I think laying the groundwork so that we reach everyone and know that all students are included on this topic. So you are listening to KRCL Radioactive. I am Dr. Tamara Stevenson, and we are talking about the new ethnic studies uh curriculum that it will be part or it will become part of Utah's core standards and I'm here with a phenomenal panel of educators with more than a hundred years experience um, both in academically and in practice. Dr. Marilee Coles Ritchie is a professor in the School of Education at Westminster College. Dr. Kathleen Christie is a retired educator and co-chair of the Ethnic Studies Coalition Michelle Loveday is a Utah educator and member, the member of the New Ethnic Studies Commission. Dr. Claustina Mahone-Reynolds is a, the new principal at Hillcrest Middle School in the Murray School District. And uh, gosh, I already wish we had more time, Lara, but, <laughs> and, and there's a burning question I have, but I sort of want to get to the, to the other questions, but I, I think I got to ask this one to Michelle. So... Uh, you mentioned as part of your introduction that you are the visionary of this online virtual academy, Rise Academy. And you created this in response to the need you saw to fill what I'm calling an ethnic educational gap for black students in Utah. To me, in a way, this is a form of ethnic studies outside of the traditional school system, which happens across a variety of communities, across ethnic, cultural, and even religious contexts. So what need did you see to create RISE, the RISE Academy as a member of the Ethnic Studies Commission? How does ethnic studies within and beyond the public school enrich learning for students? Well, in seeing this need, I was fortunate and am fortunate to work with many members of the refugee community. And so I witnessed the Nepali community come together every Saturday with students and kids teaching their language and working together and being a community and the celebration of it as they were using a building structure, you know, an LDS church that they uh, rented out for each Saturday. And the, the eyes of joy from those students and started seeing the community gather. And then we also have organizations like Latinos in Action that have courses within the school day. And as we were in the pandemic and saw the civil unrest, as Dr. Christie mentioned with the murder of George Floyd, but two weeks prior, I had just had gone on a walk with my child for Ahmaud Arbery. And then I'm talking about Sandra Bland. And so as a mother, I first was worried for my own black children here in Utah. And that's one of the reasons why I became an administrator. And so as I started to see black boxes show up on social media, I started to say, okay, well, we need to push those allies out of the social media warrior stage and to really put some work behind it. And seeing black students struggle, hearing of story after story of bullying and just things that were not being dealt with properly by administration and what could I do to support black students I'm black so I can at least start there and leave the other communities to work 
in, in their area. And so RISE became from that inception because I wanted to empower black students as they went out into Utah schools to know who they were, how they could be active participants in the community because their history is so rich and who we are building the community. There's pieces to black people that is not mentioned and we are all cognizant because of the time and the curriculum that you can't mention all of that, but we can empower and give small nuggets to black students to carry that force. And, and it was wonderful, even within that first year during Black History Month, students started asking, what are we gonna do in the school? And they saw the importance of sharing what they were learning with the greater good because as one of our students said as they were learning about the inventions of black people we invented everything <laughs> <You know? laughs> they saw the importance to share that and so i think while my school focuses just for black students in black history that context is important because they share that with families as they are transracial adoptees or have family members of multicultural backgrounds and then the families start to see the importance and so with that being one focus of ethnic studies, it's tied together as we look at Asian heritage and Pacific Islander heritage and so on and so forth. It's such a confidence builder. Yes. Huge. I mean, yes. just hearing yes. it's such a confidence Huge. builder where you, you, so your students, I'm sure, are going back into their classrooms, not with a deficit mindset, exactly. but with an asset-based mindset that even so even if they might hear something that is not as affirming or even accurate they go actually we were we and were, we did and build. we did that and here's some information yeah. documented scholarly referee you know not referee journal yet but right <laughs> and just to put that yes. point in yes they you know there is the pushback of saying well we don't want to teach students the victimhood yeah. however when black students were learning their black history in schools it was only surrounded about their ancestors and victimhood right yeah. slavery dr mm -hmm. king civil rights yes. harriet tubman and we love all of those mm -hmm. historians but that's all they heard right so now getting context of the buildings prior to yes they can take that into context and move forward and all students should learn that and yes. see that and i think that's um the, the Ethnic Studies Commission, as you explained, will be able to craft that those instructional materials. Of course, there's funding for professional development that will also go into that. And it's just, it's going to be an amazing learning experience for, for all of us. And as we move from the kind of administrative aspects to, uh, I'm gonna turn to Dr. Claustina Mahan Reynolds, the incoming principal for Hillcrest Junior High School in Murray, Utah. Uh, I believe that you will be the first black school building leader in that district. So can you share how this rollout of the ethnic studies curriculum might look like in, in your building in coordination with your school district and the teachers and the staff at your school? Well, I just want to say um, it's a privilege, privilege to be with these ladies tonight, and representation matters. I think the fact that um, I'm at the helm of that school within itself, it allows for students to see someone that looks like them. And so as we move forward, I'm very cognizant of the Ethnic Studies Bill and the Izzy Bill. So I want to bring that to the forefront for teachers and support them in terms of how we're going to roll it out, right, in conjunction with our district. So 
first, for starters, letting them know what the bill is, right, what it entails, the history of the bill, where we move, how we move. In addition to that, I think looking for professional learning opportunities for teachers so they're able to understand what it is they're teaching, but also who that they're teaching, right? And so that's the beginning stages for me as we move forward. And, and of course, I know that you are student-centered, which means being parent-cognizant. <laughs> so as, as you think about parents and families as part of this, how do you see, uh, how do you, might you envision that going forward? Uh, we just spoke about in our school, we talked about having a parent-teacher conference, which would look more like a back-to-school kind of barbecue, and having community members there, because representation matters, community matters, and I want parents to know that they are entrusting their jewels to us, and that we are going to, one, keep their kids safe, and two, make sure that their kids are learning. So a lot of outreach to parents, making sure parents feel comfortable, and reaching out to all parents, because it's about all parents and all students. Wonderful, wonderful. This is a it's a community effort, right? And and in our schools, that does include uh, engaging parents where they are, right? And I think we've I think you all can attest that we we have a greater understanding of of what parental involvement is about, what that means for their child, their students' success, not only in the K twelve. Uh, K-12 education, but certainly in higher education. So Dr. Mary Lee Coles Ritchie, as a teacher educator, where you teach courses at Westminster College to prepare teachers, and I believe um, many of our teachers, maybe not all, but many of, of our students who graduate from Westminster with their education degree do work in Utah's public schools. Mm -hmm. How does this adoption of ethnic studies in the state's core standards, core education standards, impact teacher education programs? Well, I can say I am thrilled that this is a bill that is going to be incorporated in K through 12 schools. The reason is we have been teaching um, these kinds of standards and these kinds of um, ways of um, preparing teachers for a long time. But what would happen is sometimes our students would go into the schools and they didn't get the support to be able to continue it. And when you don't practice it and see it, then it's hard to continue it. Um, so I am excited. I think ethnic studies, it's rooted in joy and community building. That's what it is. Um, it is academically rich because it highlights the lived experiences of students from all cultural backgrounds, not those who are just white and from a Euro-American um, background. And that's where what's been centered in the past. I know from personal experience, um, when I, uh, and, and I had to wait till graduate school for this, but I was in a program um, for my um, graduate degree, for my PhD, where a lot of the faculty members, as well as the other students, were, were people of color. And I was the minority as a white person. And I'm telling you, I was silenced in the best way possible because I got to listen and learn in a way that I couldn't have otherwise. And I want that experience for all students because that was how I grew and stretched and understood the world around me in such a, a stronger way. And so I just am really excited um, that we are going to have um, teachers centering narratives and ancestral knowledge from students from all parts of the world, from indigenous people, from black students, um, they are going to be able to build solidarity because they'll have all of these racial and cultural differences in the classroom that they can learn from, and it will be just a natural part of the curriculum. 
So um, I we really encourage our, our teachers when they go out there to plan curriculum and to do that they need to get to know their students so if they don't they need to give surveys and do home visits and contact parents you know um, they need to um, do activities in the community that help them get to know it read books all of those kinds of things and so as they do that then they can say, okay, I have all these students with all this rich cultural knowledge. Now here's what the standard says. How can I put those together to create a curriculum that students can be proud of, that they can share their own cultural heritage, and others can learn from it too. So I just am um, really excited to, to participate in a way that they're going into the schools where it's going to be culturally sustaining pedagogy that's not just let's bridge it, but let's have it be in the curriculum in in every subject matter so um so that's a little bit about why you can can't tell i'm very excited to move this forward and i'm i'm thrilled to just hear the wealth of knowledge that you can hear from these other panelists and that there are people on the ground working um on how to connect this all in really meaningful ways um from from experience on the ground so I don't want to bring this up, but I have to, which is as part of the the tensions around ethnic. Well, I'll bring it up this way. So I had the opportunity to listen to the hearing about the ethnic studies uh, uh, bill. And of course, you know, which is an amazing thing when you're living in Utah, that we are really so close, up close and personal during the legislative sessions, and we get to actually engage and listen and show up. And that was a pretty popular hearing. And uh, there were uh, community members and, and you know everyday citizens and residents of Utah who came and shared their, their perspectives across ideological diversity, right? A very prime example of that. And uh, some of the comments did mention, well, this sounds like critical race theory, right? And, and we know that that had been in the news the past couple of years. And, and can you just, any of you, could you kind of speak to how this, this isn't that? Um, and how, uh, uh, how to just make sure that, that, you know, we stay focused on the main thing so uh dr christie do you, do you, would you like to just briefly of course dr stevenson <laughs> <laughs> so the the question is how does critical race theory fit in or why was or it brought kind of up how it, yeah why would why do why you think was it was it brought, brought up? up i think it was brought up because people just don't know what critical race theory is first of all but uh, what we did in our coalition was we decided to keep it separate because it is a, a theory, it's a framework that talks about the impact of race and racism on our institutions, right? Yes. So we, as a coalition, decided that we weren't going to get it confused since people were so confused about what CRT is or was or could be. So we, um, as a critical race theorist myself, I understand it. And so I know how to help people understand the impact of race and racism on our institutions and in our schools every day. But that wasn't what we were about. We were about bringing in the ethnic studies um, into our core curriculum. And there may be some crossover at some point, and I think we have lots of educators yes. who are sophisticated enough and have gone through Dr. Mary Lee's class and understand how to talk about 
certain things. And we can't run from that, right. uh, but we can learn how to to use it to inform us and to, to teach our kids. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they deserve to know. Thank you for that, Dr. Christie. And if I could quickly pitch, pivot to um, Ms. Michelle, because I loved how uh, we were in a different context and a similar question came up about CRT. And you were mm -hmm. like, actually, <laughs> CRT actually could mean, and it does mean, culturally relevant or culturally responsive teaching. teaching. Can you share a little bit about that? Yes, so when you look at, and, and that was my naivete when it all started coming up as an educator myself, not even having the course in college, and I got the call asking if we were being, if we were teaching CRT. And I thought, well, yes, uh, you know, culturally responsive teaching. And that's just the wherewithal in that respect that teachers are aware that all students have culture and they matter in the classroom and what they're bringing. So students are bringing information about themselves and their family and their ancestral heritage to the classroom and have that offered. And so it's the affirming part of the teacher to recognize that in all students, that everybody has culture. And so we want culturally competent teachers that recognize that. Uh, we are fortunate enough to be able to see the diversity of our students in not only you know race, but in religion and in many ways. And so we have to affirm that when we have students that are celebrating and recognizing Eid. We have to know that they're gonna have needs and prepare a closet for prayer, for example. And we ran into that because we want culturally competent teachers, but we can see cultural destruction as well when Catholic students come after Passover and have ashes on their forehead and then they have to be told to wipe it off. If you were a culturally competent teacher, you would know. And so we are just wanting to have that correct CRT with our students, uh, for our students, by our teachers. Well, we could go on. I could go on just asking so many more questions. And we wanted to wanted to convene this panel to bring clarity to this uh, important topic to our state, this influential uh, uh, move that is happening in terms of incorporating ethnic studies into Utah's core standards. It is important. It is important for the present. It is important for the future, um, as you all have shared for so many reasons and in so many ways. And while I wish we could do a one word takeaway, what is one word that you would, no, well, not a word, maybe a quick phrase, like really quick, to be able, if you, uh, to encourage parents and communities to support public education in Utah to bring about the best outcomes for our students. What would you say uh, really quickly? And I will start with incoming principal, Dr. Mahone Reynolds. I would say be present. Mm -hmm. Be present in your child's education. It's okay, come to the school, be there because representation matters and it matters that you're there in our buildings. Mm -hmm. Dr. Christie. Yes, I agree. Um, just participating, support the schools, ask questions, be at the meetings, go to board meetings, go to con council meetings, and understand what's going on in your child's school. Thank you, Ms. Michelle. Affirm teachers, they want and love the students that are there, and they have the best interest in mind for students, so affirm them and support them in parent-teacher relationships. And Dr. Merely, wrap us up. If um, you present as white um, from a Euro-American heritage, I would ask you to be a listener 
to voices, black voices, indigenous voices, um, Latinx voices, and so forth. And just um, by listening, you will learn and be able to um, uh, affirm teachers and their other students in the classroom. Thank you, panelists. Thank you, my colleagues, my friends, my sorors. Uh, thank you, Laura, for this opportunity to be able to come back to the KRCO. Mike, as always. Well, it was fantastic. And of course, folks, check the show notes tonight for links to everything we've talked about. I'm going to get one there for the uh, Ethnic Studies Commission so folks can check it out. But I love the advice to be present. I think so many people, part of this critical race theory backlash, people finally start paying attention to what's going on. Whatever you think about the ideological divide on that issue, right, Dr. That's Stevenson? That's right. That's right. You got to stay in it for the long haul, that's though. That's it. Well, what's your next topic going to be? Because you got to come back. We got to talk. <laughs> we'll talk. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. It. Thank you. And questions, comments, suggestions, you can email me at radioactive at krcl.org. Coming up on the show tomorrow night, it is Punk Rock Farmer Friday. We'll have live, fresh homegrown music from John Bean and the Eye Rollers, plus Gardening Utah's Jenna Francis, all the way from Ireland, Peter Donegan, and so much more. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for listening to Radioactive. Democracy Now! is next. Thank you, Dr. Stevenson! KRCL, Salt Lake City. Get out your calendars. We've got a date you've been waiting for. KRCL's annual record in CD sale will be kicking off Friday, September 9th, as part of the KRCL Block Party. It's on 909. Get it? We've been collecting your donated vinyl over the past two years, and we have to say, it might be the best we've ever had. So mark your calendars, September 9th, for the KRCL record and CD sale and block party. If you're looking to get rid of your vinyl, we're still taking those tax-deductible donations of your gently used records. Email me, eric, at recordsale at krcl.org for more information.